Good morning. Thanks, Bob. I got a little trunk of goodies here. Uh-oh is right. I have to acknowledge before I start that um, sometimes you think a pastor is just someone or someone who preaches is just someone who just locks himself away and thinks deeply for a little while and all of a sudden it all appears in his head. This is what it looks like for me. I go and find out what I'm preaching on and then I head off and I have a visit with Brett and Tanner and Matthew and we talk about it for a little while and I get their take on it and we chase the ideas around. And then I go home and I'm thinking lots and I have this you know, profound thought and I go walk over from my deck into my living room and I say, Mona, what do you think about this? And I say my profound idea and she says, huh? <laughs> and it's like, okay, I need to refine the approach to that. They need to know this a little bit. I gotta explain it a little bit better than that, right? And so we do that a few times and she throws her ideas out there and usually what happens is you know, she gets on track of, an idea of her own, and she starts talking. And thankfully, she shows me grace because I often will go, oh, and I get up and I run back outside and I have to hurry, put down a thought, and she's in the middle of hers. So thank you for being gracious to me, Mona. But I just got to get that down. How many people here have a thought and it's like, I need to remember that, but if I don't write it down, like right now, it'll be gone forever, right? And so, yeah. And so... Uh, That's where I'm at, and so uh, I love the process. I think I love the process of preparing for the sermon more than this. I love that process, but this is fun too. I don't have any slides today. I'm not competent enough for that as far as this goes, so um, I'm going to be asking you to look in your Bibles. Now, most of you have a phone. I encourage you to go to your Bible app. Some of these scriptures... um, They're not complicated, but it's good to see it and hear it at the same time. And so I would encourage you to do that. The translation I'll be using is called the Christian Standard Bible. I like that. It's easy reading and also quite accurate. So I'm going with that. Um, So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to get you to turn to a passage, and then I'm going to get my stuff out. Jesus, Jesus, dear God, I love you so much, and I thank you that we have people here who want to hear about you and understand you and come to know you better. And I pray that you would make my words your words and that you would help these people, my friends, to listen to your spirit. And if I say something wrong, that they would point it out. But if there's truth there, I pray that they would let us soak in. In your name I pray. Amen. Luke 15, 8 to 10 is where you want to go first. Luke 15. That is the parable. When uh, Don said, pick a parable, I had one picked. Uh, Of course, I was late to the game, and Jordan made it first. And he did a fantastic job last week, so thank you, Jordan. Um, And so then I had to go looking for another one. I like short little parables, and so I picked another one, and that's the one that you're going to see right there. All right, what have I got in here? I'm going to, I have to tell you that one of the reasons why I picked this parable is because as soon as I read it, a story came to my mind, and I love telling that story. And it's like, I may not be all that righteous, but I like telling the story. So I'm going to tell this story, and that's how I picked it. So we've got this thing right here. Anybody out there? I know I've got some former students. Can you tell me what this thing is? Just shout it right out. 
It's an oil pan, absolutely. Okay, good. So I want to set this down somewhere. Maybe I'll just set it right here. There's an oil pan right there. Excellent. Um, if you don't know what it is, that's okay. Part of my job as a teacher is to take something complicated and make it simple so you can understand it. So hopefully I'll take you on that journey. Luke 15, 8 to 10, if you could read with me. Or what woman has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, Jesus says, in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. So, here's my story. I'm going to tell you a parable. And here's a little parable. A parable is a story with a point, a good point, a lesson. 1999, if you can remember back then. Lincoln, you can't, I understand that. But there was time before you teenagers existed. And in that time, I was working as a mechanic here in a shop in town. And one day, all of a sudden I get a job and it says that uh, the diesel mechanic in the shop had diagnosed that this truck, this Dodge Cummins Dooley truck. Okay, now I know I got the ears and attention of some of you here. All of a sudden, your ears perked up, huh? This truck comes in and I need to replace a part. I need to replace the lift pump. Now, a lift pump is not that complicated. I think we all know that when you go to the gas station to get gas or diesel, you put it in your tank and that tank sits under your car and somehow it disappears. Well, why does it disappear? Where does it go? Well, we burn it in the engine. So somehow we need to get it from the tank and put it in the engine. And a lift pump is the thing that does that. It lifts the fuel from the tank and puts it to the engine. Pretty simple. Now that lift pump, if you were looking on this engine, now some of you Cummins diesel nerds here would probably realize that this is way too small for this to be a Cummins diesel engine oil pan, but it's the only one I had. But if you were to look at this oil pan, and the engine sits above it, and this sits underneath, it's called an oil pan because it holds oil. Right above here, sitting right here, is the cylinder block, and this is where the lift pump is. Now, if you have the engine out, it's really easy to see. But if you don't have it out, it's under a lot of stuff. Like, let's say I'm standing right here, and I pop the hood open, okay? And I pop the hood up, and I look down, and there's the engine sitting there and a lot of other complicated stuff, and I'm gonna slide around, no, I should say this way so that my back's not toward you, okay? So I pop the engine open, and I slide around to the driver's side, and the lift pump is right down there, but I can't see it because there's something called a brake master cylinder or booster, there's a whole lot of stuff in the way. And so I need to get down underneath there. I can't go underneath. I get down underneath there and I can't see, but I can feel it. A lot of mechanics, they gotta go by feel because you I mean you shine a light down and you can see it, but there's only one way to see it and that's where you're shining the light. And so you gotta go by feel. So I was down in there reaching around and I knew, I knew that when I pulled that off, it's just a couple of bolts. When I pulled that off, there was this little rod. It looks like this. This little rod, sits in this position, and when I pull the lift pump out, there's oil on the rod and the pump. And often, there's a little tension there between the oil and a rod, and it works like a magnet, and I pull the lift pump out, the rod 
slides out. Now, herein lies the problem. I don't want the rod to come out. So, I'm all tangled up, wishing that I had an extra joint right here so that I could go around another corner and get my hand in and a screwdriver in to separate this rod from the pump and hold it in. But I couldn't get there. And I was like, okay, it's almost out, it's almost out. I think I got it. Can't see anything, right? And all of a sudden, I hear a noise. Mechanics go by noises a lot. And this was the noise. That's a bad noise. <laughs> you're listening and you're hoping for a noise, and now I don't have a cement floor here, but a noise where you drop something and it hits the floor. That's the best news that a mechanic can hear because it's not lost in the bowels of whatever you're trying to fix. And so that's what happened. I heard that noise and it fell down there. Well, I was quite discouraged. Ah, I need to put more emphasis on that. I probably threw something, is what my wife said. <clears throat> I think I was more in control back then. And, but I, I think I was past the throwing something, and I was more into the so much utter disappointment. And here's why. I worked flat rate. Flat rate means that when the vehicle comes in, they quote the job according to how long it should take, according to this book that, well, it used to be a book in 1999 about this thick. And it said it should take a couple hours to change that lift pump, let's say. Well, I want to change it in a couple hours. Now what I've effectively done is taken this job from a two-hour job, maybe even less because I could do it pretty proficiently before I dropped it, into about an eight-hour job. Because now what I have to do is I have to take the oil pan off and find that and take it out. In order to do that, it's a little complicated. There is um, something called a differential that sits right underneath the oil pan. It's not that easy. You've got to wiggle it out. You actually have to take the engine mounts off the engine and lift the engine off of the frame so that there's enough room to get the... You can see it's a little bit complicated. And so, there I was, going to get paid two hours to do a job and having to put in eight. Hmm. That's quite discouraging. I had all of these jobs lined up for the rest of the day that the boss had lined up for me. That's what they do. And I was ready to go. I didn't get to do those. I wouldn't have gotten to get to do those. And so I was very discouraged. In fact, it felt a little hopeless right there. Just very hopeless. And so, um, what I did was I lay down on my creeper and I rolled underneath the truck and I was thinking to myself, I'd been mechanic long enough that I was thinking to myself, I gotta figure something out here to make this go a little quicker. And I had a wrench that I had not thrown in my hand and I was underneath and I tapped on the bottom of the oil pan and I heard something jump. Bing, idea comes to my head. I say to myself, I wonder if. So I thought a little longer. I went and grabbed a clean oil pan, put it underneath, and I drained the oil out of the oil pan. Here's the drain plug right here. On the one that I was working on, it was right in the bottom. And so I drained the oil out, and then I found a magnet. Where's my box? I got a magnet right here. And this little piece is sitting in the 
oil pan, and I tapped on this piece, and I had my magnet over here, and then all of a sudden I heard another noise. You know what that noise is? That one. And that was an awesome noise, okay? And so, now it wasn't, wasn't quite right, so I had to pull it out, and I looked through the hole, which is not very big, it's about that big, just slightly bigger than this, and I saw the middle of it, so I, I moved it over a little bit, and then I all of a sudden heard a, and it popped up. I pulled it out. Oh, amen, Jesus. I was so excited. I was lying underneath there, and I said, yes, like this, and people were, my other mechanics were looking, and it's like, what happened over there? And I jumped out, and I probably hit my head on the way out, I don't remember, maybe why I don't remember, and I crawled out of there, and I walked over, and I said to John, John Long, he was, I worked with him while I worked at this shop, he has, had been a mechanic for 30 years. He had seen this happen before in his own life, where he's had to rescue himself for the pickle that he put himself in. And I said, John, you've gotta know this. I totally did this. Now, I was bragging a little because I felt I was really smart and intelligent and figured out how to get the click and pull this out. And so I told him about that. And then I went over to Kim and I said, Kim, Kim uh, was another mechanic in the shop. And I said, Kim, I got to tell you, this was so cool. And Kim was, he was, uh, he was one of those grouchy mechanics that felt he had to be grouchy all the time, right? And so he was just, but he had a little grin on his face because he remembered times that he was in a pickle that he had put himself in and had to figure it out. I tell you, in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. That was 1999. I'm not gonna do the math real quick because it was a long time ago, but it was a long time ago. It was before I got married, so over 30 years. And I still remember, to this day, what it felt like when I heard that noise. And it was like, oh, now I got this. It was good. So my next question, there's my story. I wanted to tell that story. I hope that was worth it. Um, we'll put that back in here. So let's look at the parable again. It's short, I'm gonna read it again. Or what woman has 10 silver coins? If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. What could possibly be that good that the angels would rejoice. They're already in the presence of God. I think it's pretty good up there. And now there's joy. What could it be? I tell you in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Hmm. Repents. Why is repenting so significant? Repenting is one of those words we use all the time, but nobody really nails it down and says what it is. So let's nail it down and see what we can find out what it is. It actually all depends on who you're asking. This parable is preceded, so I want you to go back in your Bibles, back to verse 1 and 2 of that chapter. Verse 1 and 2 says, All the tax collectors and sinners 
were approaching to listen to him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus' parables are often targeting Pharisees. Here's another story. I had a student one time, was not consistently coming to class. And then one day they did, and they were late. And they came, and I said, I approached them in the shop, and I said, you're late. And he said, well, at least I'm here. And I had a bit of a shocked look on my face. Because at some point in this student's schooling career, success in a classroom merely went blessing us with his presence. And so then it's like, oh, well, his standard was a little bit lower than I was trying to set the standard to. My standard would be, you need to be here on time. You need to be ready to learn something. You need to be um, not falling asleep. You need to take care of things, okay? And so that you're ready to go. That was my standard. And I had told them at the start of the year, that's kind of my standard. You show up on time and ready to go. I'll show up on, right, right, on time and ready to go. We'll have a good time and we'll learn some stuff. But along the way, somehow his standard had changed. And I would suggest it was the same for the Pharisees. Over many years, the Pharisees had come to the conclusion that sin is merely a matter of what we say and do. And repentance involves making the correct sacrifice and not doing that thing ever again. Now that sounds good. It does. On the outside, that's like, that makes sense. I want my kids to do that. You bet, it does sound good. And so I've got a real representation of what that could look like. Let's say, I mean, in my years of learning things about the Bible, repentance has always been defined as turning from one direction and going the other, turning from sin and going the other direction. So that's, let's say sin's over here. I'm not judging anybody on this side of the church here. So let's say sin's over here, okay? And um, if I do something wrong, okay? And then I look at it and say, and this is the Pharisees' view of things. I've done something wrong. I'm sorry. I'm going to make the right sacrifice in the Jewish times, and I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to make it happen. I'm not going to do it again. And they think that they're all the way over here. Okay, here I am making sure that I'm not doing the thing that I am not supposed to do or doing the thing that I should do or whatever that is. But I would suggest they're not making it all the way. They're missing something. Because Jesus comes in. Jesus comes in and he raises the bar. He says, you Pharisees, you think that you're hard on sin and that you, the consequences are great. Mm -mm, you're not even close. Matthew 5, you don't have to turn here. These are quick and I'm just going to fire them away. Matthew 5, 21, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, this is Jesus' version, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Oh, Jesus kicks it up a notch. This is not just killing someone, because I'm good. I haven't killed anybody yet. Still have a few years of teaching yet, but I haven't killed anybody yet, okay? Am I good? Yeah, I think I'm good. But did I hate somebody? 
Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh, Jesus takes it another step. Oh, you mean what's going on in here matters too. And what's going on in here also Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of the Father in heaven. See, to Jesus, sin is not merely a matter of what we do and say. To Jesus, it's a matter of the heart. And the punishment is not just a sacrifice. The punishment is death. Hmm, that sounds kind of hopeless, Martins. It does kind of, doesn't it? Turn two. Are you ready with your Bibles? Matthew 5, 17 to 20. Matthew 5, 17 to 20. Jesus is talking to Matthew again. He says, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And the Pharisees are going, man, you're breaking a lot of rules here. How is it that you're saying that you're here to fulfill the law when we've seen you do things already that you shouldn't have done? For truly I tell you, Jesus says, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. And the Pharisees are saying, done, did that. Looked at all the strokes, looked at all the marks, we nailed it. Jesus says, therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And the Pharisees are saying, yep, that will be me. And then he says, for I tell you, unless your unrighteousness surpass, sorry, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Ooh, that kind of took them. Wait a minute, we did everything. Now I wrote words here and it says Jesus is redefining sin. Uh, No, he's not redefining it. He's reestablishing it. Because it was like this all along. At the core of all of the law sits these two laws. Love God, love others. It was there from the beginning. So, Jesus is redefining or reestablishing what sin is. Let's follow a conversation between a parent and a child. And if you were a child, maybe you saw this. And if you were a parent, uh, I'm guaranteeing you probably definitely saw this. Um, Two siblings are fighting. Now... It never happened in my home. Between me and my brothers, I'm sure I might have just forgotten it after I got hit on the head, right? Um, But let's say that's happening to other people. And they're fighting, and the parent says, let's say, don't be mean to your sister. Now I have two girls, so I'm going to go with the sisters here, okay? So don't be mean to your sister. And um, the child says, okay. I won't hit her, I won't yell at her, and I won't steal her stuff. Okay, so I won't do those things. Or, and the results are, 
they don't hit them for at least a little while if we know how that works, okay? They don't hit them and they don't yell at them and they don't steal their stuff. Or the parent says, instead of don't be mean to your sister, the parent says don't hate your sister. Now I'm a child, let's say, and my mom says to me, don't hate your brother. I'm like, well, how do I stop that? What are the things that I need to do to not hate him? Hmm. Is it possible for me to not hate someone? I could just change my mind. Okay, I'm going to not hate them. And then I end up hating them not long after. Or maybe I've wrestled it and I've muscled it for a little while. And then later, all of a sudden, no. I all of a sudden wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm having an argument with someone that I'm bitter towards, and I'm like, how, how did that happen? I'm winning the argument, but it's all happening in my head. And again, it doesn't go away. How do you hate that? I think the reality is you can't. You can stop hitting your sister on your own, but you can't stop hating her on your own. But you say, if I can't stop hating her on my own, what's the point? If you said the penalty is death, then is it hopeless? The Pharisee would say you should repent by saying, give your sister a hug. Let me do this again. Give your sister a hug, say sorry for what you've done, and they think they keep on going and say, and never do it again. All right, that's what they would say. But Jesus would say, give your sister a hug. Say you're sorry. Stop hating your sister and go and play. But we already said, I can't stop hating my sister on my own. Jesus, okay, turn to John 15. Go there in your Bibles now. Well, I've got a few sentences before we get there. John 15, 1 to 6. Jesus is in the time before he goes to his death. Not long before. He's talking to his disciples. And this is a pretty important time. If you had only a certain number of hours left and you had the time to say, I'm going to say important things, you better listen. And so we should listen here. And this is another parable. In this parable, he's talking about a gardener. And that gardener is taking care of his vineyard. Such was the place in that time in Jerusalem that there's a lot of vineyards. And he's checking out the branches for fruit and he's doing a little pruning. That's what Mona was doing, a little cutting. Every once in a while, we got to do this, and we got to prune here yesterday. And this is what he says. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. He says this. Remain in me. And I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. You cannot produce fruit unless you remain in Jesus. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. I'm not a really big fan of definitive statements. 
I don't like lines in the sand because I like to chase ideas around. I like to do that. If someone comes up with a, this is the way it is, I like to challenge it even if I believe what they are saying, right? I just like to challenge that. And so Jesus says, you can do nothing without me. I don't like those kinds of statements. But here it is, and Jesus said it, so I, I'm gonna, we're going to go with it. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they're burned. Hmm. A branch without fruit hates someone, but does not hit them. A branch with fruit loves someone, and doesn't just keep from hitting them, but rather serves them and loves them. Let's go back to the parable. Uh, let's see, what else do I got here? Yeah, you can go back to Luke 15, back to the beginning again. Maybe back, back on your phone, I'm not sure. Verse one, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him and the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. These two simple verses are two sides of repentance. One looks like not hitting, and one looks like not hating. Again, easy to stop hitting, but it's impossible to stop hating. So what do we do? Well, unlike the parent who has no ability to get one child to stop hating the other, we just can't do it. I've said, just stop. Yeah, I don't know. Well, how do I do that, Dad? Just stop hitting her, okay? Because I have no other tools. I don't know how to make you stop hating her. John 15, 7 and 8 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I'm going to propose this. Repentance is more than just standing over here, acknowledging your sin. That's an important part, very important. There is sin, and there is rejection of God, and that is, well, it results in death. But I come to a point where I see here is my sin. I'm sorry. I'm definitely going to do things with my sin to make sure that I don't do it again. If I've got a problem with lust and I've got a problem with pornography, I'm not going to just keep my phone with me all the time because I have access to all of it all of the time. I'm going to do something. I'm going to put a little filter on there. I'm going to make it throw an email to somebody at some point saying, you know what? Martin's is on the wrong place. I'm going to know that. There's going to be accountability there. I'm not saying that's not true. That's very true. But that's where the Pharisees stopped. The rest of the story, the 180 degree from I'm sorry, I have sinned, I am a sinner, I'm going to make some changes, is God, I can't do it by myself. You need to help. Now, if you're like me, that doesn't sound like new, new information. However, if I look at the practice of my own heart through my life, I never get there. I always just get to the, ah, 
ah, I'm just going to try harder. Just going to not hate my sister. I don't have a sister. Brother, okay. Maybe it's a brother and sister in Christ. Oh, yeah, all right. So maybe I'm not going to do that. Luke 15. Or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, rejoice with me, because I found the silver coin I lost. I found a way to get this rod out of this oil pan. I tell you in the same way there's joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. One sinner who repents. I have this picture in my mind. Now, when, um, I better put this back in here. It's not often that we see a picture of heaven, but all of a sudden here we've got a picture of heaven, just a little slice of heaven. There's joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner. And so this picture in my mind goes like this. Here's one angel. I don't know what he looks like. I know he doesn't look like me, okay? So this angel is looking here, and he's in heaven, and earth, let's say, is down there. And this angel, there's a, for some reason in my mind, there's a big window, sort of like the window, the, I don't think they have them anymore, the window between the babies that have just been born and the parent, okay? But big window like that. And he's looking down, and he's the scout. He's the one watching up. And all his buddies are over there doing angel things, whatever that is, okay, worshiping God and all that stuff over here. But this guy, he's, he's just paying attention. And he's like, oh, oh, hey, guys. I think Chad's, I think Chad's going to repent. Just, just wait. I'm not sure yet because he's been here many times and he's never actually ever done it, okay? But I think he's going to do it this time, okay? Just wait. And he's like, okay, he's saying sorry. He's apologizing to probably his wife. And he's saying, I'm sorry. And he turns around. He's turning. He's turning around. He's making that corner. He's at about the 90 degree point. And he's like, oh, he's making sure he's not going to do that. I'm, I'm not going to do that again, Mona. I'm sorry for hurting you this way. And, I, and it's like, okay, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Oh, he's stopped. He's not going anywhere. Huh. Or maybe it's like the story, I don't know what gospel it's in, the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what does it take to get into heaven? And the angel's here, I think we're there. We're going to be there. He's asking him how to get to heaven. And Jesus says, you got to give away everything. Come follow me. You got to trust only in me. You have to walk all the way and say, I can't do this alone. I am all in with you. And he doesn't do it. He was a rich man and he walked away. But then there's a tax collector. One of those guys that Jesus is sitting with right now. The sinners. And he comes, and here's this angel saying, I think we got one. This time, I think you're right. And they're all rolling their eyes back there. And like, yeah, right, that's what you always say, okay. And so then he's looking and saying, no, I think he's got there. I think I've got Matthew. And he's repenting. And he's all of a sudden, wait, he's giving all his money away. He's giving it all back. He's doing some great things. 90 degrees. Are we going to go to 180? Come on, 180. Meanwhile, everybody's crowding around saying, go. Go, Matthew, you can do it. And he does it. 
And there's this big roar. Just imagine yourself inside of a stadium and somebody scores and you just jump up and everybody's screaming and yelling. The joy that is there. Because that is the step that's so critical that we so often, I so often, miss. I make the adjustments in my life and I never make it to the point where I say, Jesus, I can't do this without you. I need you to do this because any time that I try stopping hating, it could work for a little while, but it only looks like I'm stopping hitting. I'm not making it. I need you to do it. Because part of repentance is saying, I am Chad and I'm lost. I cannot make it. I'm going to make some adjustments because I know that would just be stupid if I didn't, right? If I'm an alcoholic and I just leave lots of alcohol around, that's just dumb. We all know that. That's not rocket science. But he's got to make that step to the end where he says, i got to submit to Jesus. If I don't do that, angels aren't going to rejoice. I love this parable. This parable gives me so much hope. Because in the last six months or so, I've had to, this is when I have encountered this verse. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. And so many times I've had bitterness in my heart. I was lying there in my bed sleeping. Wake up. Start thinking, yeah, I'm getting to the point where I just wake up and don't go back to sleep for another six hours. So there I am lying there and thinking. And I start having this argument with somebody that I'm bitter towards. And I win the argument. I'm really good at that. I'm awesome at that right in my argument. And in the middle of it, the Holy Spirit convicts me and says, Chad, you're, you're not stopping. You're hating. You're not stopping the lust. You're not stopping all of these things. You need to stop. And I say, God, I'm sorry. I need your help. I can't stop doing this on my own. And I quote this verse, it comes to my mind. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. And so I say these words, God, I don't want to be bitter. Help me not to hate. Then, five minutes later, I start drifting off to sleep, suddenly wake up and realize that there's conversations going on in my head with that same person, but they're full of grace. I didn't do that. That wasn't me. It just happened. This is a promise that I have been just totally relying on in the last six months. And I got to tell you, it's a good one. It's a promise that he has constantly delivered on. And I'm so thankful for that. I want to show, I want the angels to rejoice. Uh, one last thing. Some people look at this idea of repentance and things, uh, that one-time thing that when you just said, it's the first time that I want Jesus in my heart. Yeah, no, it's going to go on the rest of your life. You are constantly going to need to rely on Jesus Christ, on the Holy Spirit in your life. Just like the Israelites were constantly relying on God to deliver them from their enemies, to give them food, all of that stuff. It's the same. But I can find freedom because over there is freedom. If you don't make it all the way to asking God to do it for you, I don't think you're finding freedom because I was enslaved to sin for decades and now I've found freedom.
because Jesus is doing it for me. Let's pray. Dear God, I'm so thankful for this day. This has been an amazing day so far. I thank you so much that you have made it amazing by being who you are, by promising us so many things and giving us hope that even though we can't do it, that you can. And I pray for everyone here that they, today, when they encounter sin in their hearts, when they encounter lust or hate or bitterness, all of those things that replace you, that they would turn to you and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you to do this for me. I pray that for everyone here. In your name I pray, amen. rejoice, the angels rejoice, and I think we're left down here going, I'm so confused why he wanted me in the first place. But we don't want to take that away. We don't want to take the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on that cross. But we do want to continually be reminded of the amazement of how much he loves us because he chose to.